As the video hit on, we are in the book of Luke. We've been going through that. I found that video, and it actually ties into Luke 22, which is where we find ourselves this morning as we make this journey through the gospel of Luke, uh, identifying ourselves with the people uh, that we see in the midst of the scriptures. Um, One of the reasons, one of the obvious reasons for Jesus' popularity. Uh, So we saw as he enters Jerusalem, there's thousands of people that flock to him. Uh, They're shouting Hosanna. Uh, They're really excited to see Jesus. Everywhere he goes, there's thousands of people. He cannot go anywhere alone. It's like Pavarazzi, right? It's like being a celebrity. Um, But it's, imagine being Elvis or the Beatles um, and and being that in in a time and a place where there is no media. Uh, so it's just word of mouth, and thousands of people continue to follow him. So every time he would speak, he would speak to thousands. Um, every time he would go through a city, there's bumping and rubbing, and they're just shoulder to shoulder, and it's a really incredible thing for us to fathom. But one of the obvious reasons for his popularity was the miracle working with the people. Okay? Jesus, able to do miracles, uh, and obviously when you're able to do miracles, people are attracted to you. Uh, either out of curiosity or a desire for healing on their own. Um, It's recorded that he gave sight to the blind. Uh, He healed the paralyzed. He fed thousands with nearly nothing. Um, And the first miracle that he did, anybody remember what that was? Turn water into wine at a wedding feast. In fact, he says, his mom says, Son, uh, why don't you do something? And he says, Woman... It's not yet my time. I used that text as justification to call my mom woman for years. I said, Jesus did it. I'm going to do it too, woman. Um, I'm not saying it went over well, and I'm not saying that's a biblical interpretation. But that's how it went. Uh, following one of the instances in Matthew chapter 9 where he had, where he had healed uh, a man who was, I believe, paralyzed, uh, a paralysis, and... Uh, Following that, it says that the crowds were awestruck that God gave such authority to man. Okay, So the crowd's observing, this man was paralyzed, Jesus heals him, take up your mat, go home, walk, uh, and he does. And the crowds are amazed, they're like, God gave authority to a man to accomplish that. That's incredible. That's incredible. How does, how does this man have that authority? Okay. And, and that authority went beyond even his ability to heal, but is when he spoke. So he didn't, he didn't speak like the rest of the teachers. He speaks as a man with authority. Okay. So what did Jesus' authority permit him to do that caused the crowds to be awestruck is a question that I think I had to ask myself, and it was this. Jesus was able to know the mind, There were times that he said, knowing what they were thinking, he said this. Jesus was able to know the thoughts of man. He had that authority. Uh, He was able to change physical realities. If you were paralyzed, he was able to restore your body to function. If you're blind, he could restore your eyesight. And it was just that the laws of nature did not apply to him because he had authority to override laws of nature. That's the authority that caused people to be awestruck with Jesus. Um, And I think that's a rational reason to be awestruck. Um, So, where we're going this morning is this. 
Jesus had that authority, um, but Jesus was all good, right? He was pure. He was holy. He was loving. So the hands, that, the, the authority, um, when Jesus had that authority, that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing when a loving, caring, um, holy man has all authority over the laws of nature, over the physical, over the mental. That was a good thing. But think about that authority falling into the hands of an evil one. Okay? Um, someone who is not holy, someone who is not loving, someone who doesn't care. Imagine that same authority falling into that man's hands. So, opening question for us this morning, what, what would we fear if this type of authority fell into the hands of evil? What would we fear? Get your brains turning this morning. An evil. Okay. So if somebody, somebody's got all authority, the rules don't apply to them, and they have an evil intent, are they going to take over? I actually had that in my notes, and I called it tyranny. Right? Someone with all authority and no moral compass, what are they going to do with that authority? They're going to take over. They're going to take over. Anybody else got anything to add to that? Yeah. Oppression. As they take over, they then oppress, and in my train of thought, it went to oppressing certain people groups. Like you handpick who you want to oppress and suppress. Got all rules don't apply to me. And if I'm evil, then I'm gonna handpick who it is I want to oppress. Right? And that becomes a very scary situation. Um, so tyranny, which is unrestrained use of authority leading to cruel oppression. Uh, if it's a governing authority, then top down they decide, right? Or if it's coming from some something else. Uh, and then I also went a different direction and said certain people groups are not only oppressed, but they're leveraged for personal gain. It's like if I got all authority and the rules don't apply to me and I don't like your people group, not only am I going to oppress you, but I'm going to use you as my own leverage to, uh, to do what I want. Everything you just mentioned in my head is pointing to Nazis. Which leads flawlessly into my next example. Thank you, Chad. Uh, so here we have Adolf Hitler, one of the most famous men who, uh, in history, uh, I read an article this week, it said he initiated the deadliest conflict in human history, World War II. Like, obviously, there was multiple layers to World War II, but he was one of the primary reasons that that war existed. The deadliest conflict in human history started by one of two powers, and his power was one of those. After assuming the position of chancellor in Germany, it says Hitler suppressed political opposition in his country. If anybody disagreed with him, he suppressed them with his supreme authority. You could not speak if you disagree with me. Okay, 
uh, and it established what they called the Gestapo, the secret state police, which therefore leads to concentration camps where Hitler wipes out one-third of the Jewish population in the world. I'm going to handpick a people group. I don't like them. I have all authority to do what I want to with them, and I'll wipe out one-third of the population of this people group. That's an incredible, incredible thing. just so happens that that people group is in the center of this narrative, too. So not only is one of the most evil men in human history... uh, I think what many of us don't even process is it, that is a continuation of this narrative. That's the same storyline. It's the same people group. It's not a mistake that he hated that group so much. Okay, um, So he wiped out one-third of them, uh, known as the Holocaust. Most of us are familiar with that. By 1938... Hitler's regime occupied Austria, Czechoslovakia, uh, takes over Poland. His, his authority grows, right? Wanted to take over the world. Invaded Russia. Did it work? <laughs> I watched a World War II documentary. I'm, I'm so fresh in my knowledge of World War II, but I feel like I know what's going on, so it's really interesting. Um, anywho. He provoked the start of World War II, where 70 million people were killed in World War II. That is a number that is hard to process. A number that's hard to process. It says the majority of those deaths were civilians. Uh, and after defeated Germany, the defeat of Germany in 45, what did he do? Killed himself. Supposedly. You think he's somewhere with Elvis? I mean, uh, I, think, I think he killed himself. Yeah. Uh, we conspiracy theories. We love those, don't we? It's so funny. Uh, but it, as, as, as I got to the end of his story, it's like so many evil, the, the stories of so many evil men uh, to whom the rules do not apply, it seems like so many of those stories end in death. Because this type of tyranny is like all or nothing. It's like if the rules don't apply to me, I want to have all authority. If I can't have all authority, I don't want anything. I wipe myself out. So many of those storylines end to death. Said Hitler is blamed for 12 million concentration camp deaths and at least 30 million deaths associated with World War II. He's having a hard time, isn't he? It's hard to avoid that camera with your donut in one hand and the papers in the other hand. But Hitler was blamed for 12 million concentration camp deaths, 30 million other deaths with World War II, making him, there was a debate online about who is the most deadly evil man in world history. There was only two men in the discussion. He was one of them, uh, making him one of history's most feared men. Okay, But then Jesus says, we should not fear him who can only kill the body, but we should fear him who has authority to throw you into hell after you're dead. Okay, it's a little twist there. We should not fear him who can only kill the body, but the one who has even greater authority, all authority to cast you into hell once you are dead. That's from Luke chapter 12. This spiritual authority, I think we often overlook. 
Okay. We fear evil men and what they could do with such authority. But I think we often overlook the spiritual authority. But it's one of the main issues, main themes that we find in Luke chapter 22. There's a lot of highlights in Luke chapter 22 that if you've ever gone through the Gospels or if you've ever been to church on Easter, a lot of these pieces you've heard. But we're going to hit on this underlying theme. I got really excited when I saw all these things like Jesus in the garden, uh, Judas betraying him, Peter denying I'm like, man, there's a lot of content that we could teach on here for like a whole couple months. But I'm not going to teach on any of it. We're going to teach on the underlying theme that kind of runs throughout the whole chapter. And it is, uh, Jesus summarizes so much of chapter 22 uh, in verse 53 of chapter 22 where he says this. uh, This is your moment. This is the New Living Translation. New Living Translation. Um, This is your moment. uh, The time when the power of darkness reigns. This is the moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. The authority of darkness has its way. Christian, uh, the translation I read out of on a regular basis says, the domain, dominion of darkness. This is the time for it. Okay? So what is the dominion? Oh, y'all like my drawing? It's one of my proudest moments been a while since I've done anything that ornate. That's a moon, in case you're not familiar with that. Did you catch that? Okay. What is the dominion of darkness? What is the dominion of darkness? The dominion of darkness is the unrestrained use of authority by the most evil of all evil persons. The unrestrained authority by the most evil of all evil persons. The king of this dominion is Satan himself, and his dominion is the earth, it's our planet, it's our country, and it's our community. Okay? The king of this domain is Satan himself. It's our planet, our country, and our community. The two domains that are contrasted in the Gospels are um, those of the dominion of darkness, the domain of darkness, and the domain of light. Contrasted with it deep theological comment that we avoided this morning. I was like, how do I draw darkness? And they're like, draw the moon. I'm like, well, that's light. I'm like, you can't even draw darkness without drawing light. And Stephen's like, whoa. So we avoided that conversation so that we didn't end up down a rabbit hole. Um, But I think it proves the point that, that in the gospel narratives, there's two domains that are compared, always held up against each other. There's that of darkness and that of light. And Satan himself is the king of darkness. Okay, where does he rule? He rules on our earth. Okay. Um, so, I got, a, I got a, a point that you need to remember, so I should write it down. Oh, I hope y'all got a good mental picture of that. It's a sad day. Where'd my... The domain of darkness is such because it exists by deceiving its subjects and blinding them to the truth. Okay? 
the domain of darkness exists by deceiving and blinding its subjects. Blinding them to what? The truth. By blinding them to the truth. Uh, The gospel, the good news of Jesus, life, death, resurrection, the gospel is good news because it is literally our blind eyes being opened. It is our blind eyes being opened, enabling us to turn from darkness to light. Okay? Your spiritual eyes, you're, you're, you're blind to the truth. Why? Because the dominion of darkness has its way, and Satan is the ultimate authority, and he is to some extent unrestrained. He's got this really scary level of authority. And what does he do? Number one, he deceives you by blinding you to the truth. And when Jesus moves in, when the gospel takes hold, the thing that happens is your eyes are open and you can now see the truth. And in seeing the truth, you decide to leave the domain of darkness and be received in the domain of light. Scripture says, turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God is what happens when you receive Jesus as the Savior. With eyes wide open, Paul teaches about forgiveness in 2 Corinthians, and he does this. He reasons, he's like, he teaches this really difficult thing about forgiveness and how we are to be accountable to one another and to call each other out on sin and what that's going to look like, but then we restore our relationships by forgiving one another. And it is really kind of difficult teaching to obey, but he reasons obedience with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, So that Satan will not outsmart us. Why do you want to obey and forgive this way? So that Satan does not outsmart us by deceiving us. Why? Because we are familiar with his evil schemes. We obey because we don't want Satan to outsmart us. And we are familiar with his evil schemes. But in the final hours of Jesus' life, back to Luke 22, in the final hours of Jesus' life, it wasn't this way. It wasn't this way. It's like those in Jerusalem that day were not familiar with Satan's evil schemes. This was the time, therefore, like Jesus said, when the power of darkness reigns. When is it allowed to reign? When we are unfamiliar with Satan's evil schemes and we just walk in blindly. What does it look like to walk blindly? We walk by feel. Well, feels right, so I'm going to do it. Feels right, so I'm going to go there. But when we're walking by feel and not sight, we're walking in darkness. And when we're walking in darkness, we're unfamiliar with Satan's schemes. When we're unfamiliar with Satan's schemes, we're walking in the domain of darkness. But when we receive Jesus for who he is, our eyes are open, we begin to see the truth, and we begin to be familiar with the schemes of evil. Therefore, we can resist them. But in the final hours of Jesus' life, that was not the case. This was the time when the power of darkness reigned. Verse 3 of chapter 22, it says, Satan entered Judas called Iscariot. 
Piece number one of the power of darkness, the domain of darkness reigning. Satan was able to enter into Judas Iscariot. And what was it? He was going to um, motivate him and deceive him until he handed Jesus over to the authorities that could put him to death. He was going to be the one that betrayed Jesus. Verse number 31. This has always been one of, I heard this preached one time, and it's always been an interesting statement. Simon, this is Jesus talking to Peter, who was also called Simon. Uh, Just to give people two names so we get confused 2,000 years later. Uh, Simon, Simon, look out, Jesus says. Why? Why should I look out? Because Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. So number one, Satan enters into Judas on this day. Number two, Satan has asked to sift Peter like wheat, just to tear him apart, pick him apart, until he is completely pulled apart. Satan's asked to do that for you. And Jesus says, don't worry, I won't let him. No, he doesn't say that at all. He's like, but I prayed for you, Peter. I'm like, come on, Jesus, you got all authority. Best thing you're going to do is pray for me? You're not going to stop it? Yeah, I prayed for you, Peter, so that your faith won't fail. So Satan enters into Judas. Satan looks to Peter and says, I'm going to sift him like wheat. And then in verse 53, like we already read, Jesus tells the religious leaders who are trying to arrest him in this moment, they want to arrest him so they can beat him, spit on him, crucify him, do away with him as a threat. And Jesus doesn't push back with his authority. He says, this is the moment. This is your day. Talking to the religious leaders. This is your day, and I'm going to let the dominion of darkness have its way. Dang, there's a lot going on on the underlying theme of this chapter. Okay, So we see how darkness reigns in this chapter. Uh, The last number of years, let me tell you a quick little story to prove a little bit of a point. Hopefully it makes sense to you. Last number of years, I've had an interest uh, in counseling. When I first got into ministry, I learned that I actually listened somewhat well. Um, I'm good at not talking sometimes. The only time I really talk is here. The rest of the time, I just prefer to listen. Um, And I was like, man, I kind of like this counseling thing. I I like to counsel on marriage. I like to counsel counsel on family, on life, on your faith. Um, and, and one of the tools that I learned for counseling was this, and, and it's the tool of understanding filters. Filters, you know, those things you put in your vent. And it, no, not those things. Um, it's the thing that was leaking on my truck, the oil filter. Uh, it's the same thing, though. Whether it's air vent, oil filter, or a counseling filter, it does the same thing. Uh, filters can be understood as this. There's something that a message passes through. So a message passes through the filter, and when it's causing the person whom the message is being spoken to to either hear it differently, right? It's either their filter that says, this is causing me, this is something in my life that causes me to hear you different, or it's something in the speaker's life that causes them to speak it in a way that they hear it different. That's going to make sense here in a second. The filter is either owned by this person or this person, but it causes the message to change. 
as it goes through that filter. What the heck are you talking about, Josh? Here's examples. Communication filters include this, an emotional state. My emotional state as a speaker or a hearer changes what I say or what is heard. If I'm all fired up, even if I'm saying something polite or something simple, if I'm all excited and emotional chaos, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> causes you to hear it different or causes me to say it different. Uh, so emotional state, it can be beliefs or expectations. Um, if I have a belief system and Chad has a belief system and Chad tells me a message and I'm like, I don't, it, it, it's, it's almost like the scriptures sometimes. It's like my, 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 my belief system changes the way I receive that. Why? Because I receive it in a context that I've already predetermined. That's why you end up with charismatics, Baptists. That's why you end up with all kinds of stuff out there. Um, uh, so also uh, distractions such as kids or TV, right? So if I got four little ones in the room with the person who's trying to hear, whoo, Message passes through the distraction of those four kids. You better believe that changes the way it's either spoken or it's heard. Because if you got four kids in between, that's your filter. The speaker may speak loudly. You're like, why are you so mad at me? I'm not. I'm just speaking over the distraction. Yeah, now your message is scaring me, even though it's, what do you want to eat tonight? Why are you so angry at me? I'm not. Just speaking over the distraction. That's a filter. Um, another one, the last one I've got for you is self-protection. Um, self-protection is another filter. So if, if this person hears this person say something and they're really just trying to protect themselves and not be vulnerable, then it's going to change the way I hear what you're saying. Here's, let me give you a couple examples. This is how it works. Husband walks in, sees his wife, and this happened to me this week. Not in this exact way. Uh, but husband walks in, sees his wife. You, she has a new purse, right? And the husband says, is that a new purse? And the wife says, why do you always get on to me for spending money? He's like, I don't think I did. I just asked if that was a new purse. That was a filter. She was either protecting herself because she felt guilty uh, for spending so much money, or uh, it was a predetermined belief of what he already thought about me. Like he already thinks I spend too much money. He always says it all the time. So when he says, observes, is that a new purse? I'm going to take it as an offense or an attack because of my predetermined belief between us. That's a filter. That's how that happens. Here's one more example. Filters can cause, um, no, no, husband walks into the house. Man, me and Tyler had a good day on the job. I'm in a good mood. Uh, we were productive. I'm coming into the house in a good mood, ready to sit down and eat dinner with my family. And in the most pleasant of ways, I'm like, hey, what's for dinner? And then the wife says, quit yelling at me. <laughs> Didn't know I did. Just curious what we were eating. <sighs> Here's the deal. Filters, that could be the four little ones again, um, causing an emotional state. A husband who is familiar with filters understands that a response 
to a message may have little or nothing to do with him. Right? If I'm familiar with how filters work, and I come in and I ask, hey, did you get a, did you get a new purse? And that turns into an argument? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I need to have the wisdom to back up and say, you know what, that, that response may have little or nothing to do with me because there's something changing the way that message was heard. Okay? Um, filters can cause actions and responses that are out of character for the individual. So I, I like married my wife because we enjoy each other, right? It's, I loved her. I want to spend the rest of my life, have babies and have a house and all those things. I need to remember that, like the character that she has when I said I do, because when I walk into the house and say, hey, hon, what's for dinner? Stop yelling at me. I'm like, well, that's not my wife. That's just not her. That's out of character for her. Right? So that changes. I'm like, something else is going on. That wasn't me. That wasn't her. There's something else changing this. There's another variable here. Okay? I need to have that wisdom. So when Satan enters Judas, when Satan sifts Peter, and when Satan has all authority over those who, the religious leaders, those who represent God on earth, they are to be the priest, the, those, who, uh, those who show God to the people and take people to God. But now Satan has authority over them. When, when Satan enters Judas, sis Peter, and has authority over those guys, these people begin responding in ways that are out of character. Okay? They begin doing things that they wouldn't normally do. Um. And in that, Judas, Judas betrays Jesus. Everybody gives Judas a bad rap, but I, he may be an idiot. I don't know. I don't, like, I didn't hang out with him before he betrayed Jesus, but it says very clearly that Satan entered him and became a filter, a variable, causing him to do things that were out of his character. And then when Peter denies Jesus, that was out of character. Like he'd spent three and a half years with this man, and like three minutes before that, he's like, I'll die for you, Jesus. He's a little bit out of, he was always a little bit of a loose cannon, but he wasn't one that was going to deny Jesus because he had some 13-year-old girl say, hey, aren't you with Jesus? That's out of character for him. There's something else going on. Something else going on. And it was because Satan was behind the scenes pulling some strings and causing people to be out of character. And those who represent God on earth murder the Son of God on earth. So that's not according to their character. But the dominion of darkness was having its way underneath the surface. Things were happening on top of the surface. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to say, those are bad people when underneath the surface, Satan has caused deception, blinded their eyes, and causing people to act out of character for who they are. In the dominion of darkness, motives are filtered through Satan's schemes. And those who are unfamiliar with his schemes will be outsmarted. Okay. Let me 
me say that one more time because that's that's our main point we're ended with, and I got just a couple applications for us. In the domain of darkness, my motives are filtered through Satan's schemes, and if I'm unfamiliar with his schemes, I will be outsmarted. I've got to have my eyes open, and I've got to grow in familiarity with how he works so that I'm not under his authority, and he's not pulling the strings in my life. Okay? So what's the good news? We'll end with good news, because that's crazy news right there. But whoa, I thought this was a happy church. Um, what's the good news? Here's the good news. There's a, uh, there's a man in Genesis chapter 50, his name's Joseph. He made this statement. His brothers tried to kill him, and one of the brothers, apparently a good guy, said, we shouldn't kill him, we should sell him as a slave. We'll make money and he'll get to live. Anyways, this, they intended that for evil. They were trying to wipe out their brother because he was annoying to them. Uh, a number of years later, he's second in line to Pharaoh. Uh, God took care of him, moved him through uh, that evil act against him and put him like in charge of the entire nation of Egypt and then in charge of his brothers. This whole thing comes full picture. And he's standing in front of his brothers who tried to kill him, and now he's got all authority over them. And he says this one thing to him: You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. You intended to harm me. You meant it for evil, but God did it for good so that I could bring the salvation of many lives. This statement from Joseph is ultimately more fully fulfilled in Jesus, right? They intended this moment for evil. We're going to wipe him out so that he'll no longer be a threat. But then Jesus use that action of evil to bring about the saving of your life, my life, buddy's life, all who have trusted in Jesus as the Savior of the world. That act of evil brought about the ultimate good of man. And he continues to do this in Jesus over and over and over and over and over and over. That was not a one-time event. That was not Joseph and Jesus. That's as you go out today... And somebody intends something for evil against you, no matter how crazy the dominion of darkness gets, it is no long, it is it is no more outside of God's control. Right? So you're you're like, I got people against me, they're trying to harm me, they're trying to uh, cut me down, they're trying to do whatever they want to do, undermine me. And you're like, man, there's something underneath them pulling the strings, and now they're acting evil against me. You process, and I got, I, 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 it's like my kids at, at, at the ballpark this week um, came up to me after practice, and they're like, there was a kid bullying justice on the playground. He was yelling cuss words at him and dragging him around and trying to bully him. Brand's like, I stood up for him. I stood up for him. Like, this boy, for some, some reason, had evil against my son. And when you see something like that, you got a couple different options. You can run, just run away. Uh, you can bow up and try to play his game and beat him at his own game. Um, but I think the same is true for you at work this week, because adults don't stop bullying. Evil doesn't stop happening. What is going to be our response and our our understanding of God and His sovereignty and that the fact no matter how much I see the dominion 
practicing its authority, I know that it has not trumped the authority of God. And I can trust without overreacting and being deceived into the domain of darkness, beginning to act out of the character of Jesus and retaliating. Paul says, leave room for God to work. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to play at evil's game. You leave room for the wrath of God, and it will take care of it. That's the good news. Because no matter where we go today, we're going to see the domain of darkness trying to practice its authority. So when darkness seems to hide its face, man, this song lyrics just came into my head as I was studying this. It says, when darkness seems to hide its face, I'm going to rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. What does that mean? That means when darkness comes over and I cannot see the authority of God taking control, I'm going to trust in the authority of God. And even when the domain of darkness pushes me around and I feel like I'm losing it in just the right moment, if I continue to walk by faith, I'm going to see the domain of light come victorious. If I do not, in the midst of the storm of darkness, get deceived and start having my strings pulled and acting out of character. If I get to that point, I've lost. But if my faith continues and I continue to walk as a child of light, even in a season of darkness, that light will prevail. It will prevail. As it did for Joseph and as it did for Jesus, it will for you. So we obey out of love, yet here's the question. When my love runs dry, why do I obey? Because let's be honest, some seasons of life and faith, I feel more loving towards God. I'm like, man, I just obey because I enjoy it. And there's some seasons of life it doesn't feel that way, does it? So what am I going to do in that season? I'm going to do like Paul said, out of familiarity with the schemes of Satan, I'm going to obey because I know how he works. Do I feel all loving towards Jesus right now? I may not, but i got to recall through familiarity. This is how Satan works. And even though it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy, I'm not going to get tricked and deceived into following Satan's schemes because I know how he works. Even if I don't feel all lovey-dovey towards Jesus, I'm going to walk in obedience anyways because being deceived and blinded by Satan is a far worse option. Okay? In time, you will witness the light consuming the darkness because you can't draw darkness without light. And light always wins. The last piece of good news I have for you is this, Colossians 1.13. It says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His Son, whom He loves. Like That's what Jesus does. Rescues you from darkness, places you into the kingdom of His Son. That promise and the promise of, of God taking your evil in your life and bringing it for good, those two promises... Uh, they're not yours if you don't belong to Jesus. Okay? Like some of you may, t- may say, wow, light always wins. Good always wins. Awesome. I'm just going to keep plowing ahead. No, 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 no. That's a promise for the children of God. That's a promise for those who look at Jesus and say, that man lived a sinless life, but yet died a sinner's death. Three days later, he rose from the grave so that he 
having that new life might come to Derek and say, if you will follow me, my new life now belongs to you. That just as I cannot be defeated by death, nor will you. As I go to the right hand of the Father, so one day will you come with me. Right? This promise belongs to those who say yes to that. Okay? If you look at Jesus, and, and, and you hear what I just said, and you find yourself fighting against this truth, you're like, yeah, I hear that, but yeah, but, 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 and you let your butt get in the way of the message. Here's what I want you to remember. If you just said, if you just gave me your best arguments in your mind to, 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 to the sinless Jesus dying a sinner's death, they crucified him, they put him in a borrowed tomb, and three days later he rose from the grave, and his new eternal life now belongs to those who say yes to him. I'm a sinner, I give it to you, and in return you're going to give me eternal life. That's a pretty good exchange. You can't beat that one. If you're like, yeah, but... Before you give me your best excuse, just just remember this. The domain of darkness is such because it exists by deceiving and blinding its subjects to the truth. If you hear the good news of Jesus and the awesome exchange that he offers, and you're saying no, I want you to consider for a moment that that's exactly what the domain of darkness wants to do to you. It wants to deceive you into saying, yeah, but. It wants to blind your eyes into saying, I don't believe that's true. What's your other option? I'm just going to feel my way through life and do whatever feels right. You can keep doing that. You have all authority in your own life to keep feeling your way through life. But I want to tell you, that leads to destruction. It leads to death. The gospel says if, if you hear this message and you refute the domain of darkness, let Jesus open your eyes, step into the dominion of light, you will look back at your old life and say, man, there really was deception and blindness because now I'm being familiar with the schemes of Satan and how he works. And I will not be trapped in that again as a child of light. How do you become a child of light? Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. He gave you his death so that he could give you his life. Yeah, but. Now, your but comes from the domain of darkness. <laughs> your but. Man, I'm like a middle school boy sometimes. That's true. But so is what I just said. The domain of darkness, that's good news. So is this coffee mug. Uh, we have a limited amount of these coffee mugs. I've got to figure out how to get those out, but we're going to order more. If you like this coffee mug, um, <laughs> I think everybody does, uh, we'll be ordering some more uh, so that everybody can have their hand on one and remember not just the brand of our church being the x but that brand is the greek symbol that reminds us of the name of christ 
When we see that, we don't just think city church. We think Christ is king. He has all authority. I am a child of light, and I walk in his domain. Even though Satan is the king of this world, and he wants to practice his dominion with uh, the rules not applying to him, as a child of God, I am keen and aware of his schemes. And when I see that X, I will remind myself Jesus is my king. And no matter what the schemes of darkness do out there, I will not be tricked. I will be familiar with how he works, and I will walk as a child of light. And in the end, King Jesus will prove to be victorious. Let me pray for you. These guys are going to lead us in a time of worship as we just kind of continue to steal our hearts Let that message kind of simmer within our minds and our hearts. See what God wants to tell us, how he wants us to respond. I think one way he wants us to respond is when we say yes to Jesus, we go through what we call baptism. It's uh, going into the water and coming out of the water. What does that symbolize? That means not only as they laid Jesus in a tomb and three days later he rose from the grave, It also says, I'm laying my old self down and I'm receiving the new self that Jesus gives me to walk in newness of life. He says, repent from your sins. That means turn away from them, turn to Jesus and be baptized. What does that baptism do? It shows the world that I'm now a child of the kingdom of God. I belong to Jesus. That's what it says. That's what it says. That's one of the things he wants you to do. I know for a fact what would I love to do more? I know we have a number of people in our church that have um, spoken of interest in being baptized. There's nothing I would love more than Easter Sunday at the farmer's market than to see a number of our people baptized. That would be pretty awesome. Uh, so maybe that fits your schedule and what you got going on in your life. If it does, hit me up. Uh, I bought a heater for the baptism. <clears throat> Sorry, David. Dave was the last one to get baptized in cold water. Um, I bought a heater after that. I felt bad. Uh, we love you, Dave. Look forward to being with you. Uh, let, me, let me pray. These guys are going to lead us to worship. Father, thank you, man, that you have not left us. We see the dominion of darkness practicing authority all around us.